right, welcome to the Digital Recruiter Podcast, a podcast where we share the ins and outs of what it's like working in the recruiting industry and you know, maybe cover other topics as well. I'm your host, Clark Wilcox, founder of the Digital Recruiter Consulting Firm and Digital Recruiter Talent Group. Uh, today, I am joined by James Prost, founder of Axiom Search, and one of the coolest dudes I've ever met and worked with, uh, and he happens to be an incredible recruiter. Uh, so I'm super excited for uh, you and every, all our listeners to be able to kind of learn his story, hear, uh, hear some of the cool adventures that he's been on, and get to know James a little bit more. James, it's awesome having you here. Hey, Thanks man. Here. My pleasure, Clark. You know what? I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. I love it. Well, let's, let's dive into it, man. How, how'd you get into recruiting? Man, I tell you what. Someone, someone showed me a book yesterday a friend of ours, a common friend of ours, I'm trying to help out that's new in recruiting. And he pulled up this book and he's like, yeah. it was Think and Grow Rich, right? Which everyone's kind of heard that book yeah. before. And I said, let me tell you a story about that. <laughs> There's always a story, right? I, uh, <laughs> I was selling life insurance door to door in Yuma, Arizona. And if people don't know where Yuma, Arizona is, it's a gateway to hell. They forgot to shut the gate. <laughs> like, like, it's like on the, <laughs> it's it's a little agricultural odd town with either bikers or marines or migrant workers to pick lettuce. It's weird, right? My wife, first wife, so you, this could be a long podcast. Um, my first wife was from there, and we we moved there because her parents were there, and she could get a teaching job. I started selling insurance. I was the number one agent. In, in the nation for policies written for mass mutual, which is like a New York life. Problem is it was a, not a well-to-do town and people would lapse their insurance policies all the time. They couldn't pay it. And when what happened is your commissions would get reversed a percentage of it when they lapsed. So while I'm the top guy in the country, people are like, Oh, this kid's a rock star. I'm like, I'm starting out a negative a thousand dollars every month on a full commission job. Like it was horrible. And so I'm talking to my mom and she's like, your uncle, my crazy uncle Don, this guy was a like Andrew Dice Clay and Kramer mixed, right? There was something undiagnosed with wow. him, <laughs> but he was very New York, very in your face. And he was recruiting and killing it in Phoenix, Arizona. So I found ways to get up there. It was like a three hour drive to get in front of this owner of this recruiting firm. And you, I walk in, it looks like the set of Anchorman. I mean, it's literally the 90s, but it's a 20-year-old furniture, coffee-stained map on the wall, guys with clip-on ties. I was like, whatever. I hear they're making money. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I, on my fourth try to get in front of whoever I needed to get to to get the, a job there, um, my insurance company had sent me to Phoenix for like a seminar that they were putting on. And so we had a lunch break, and I used the lunch break to bounce and go back to that recruiting firm my uncle worked at. And they happened to have this guy that was, this is very 90s. He had red suspenders. His name was Tony Byrne, and he was like international recruiting consultant to the stars. Odd dude, and <laughs> it just fit the whole the whole scene. It was like something out of a movie. So Tony talks to me, and I, I don't know if he's like a recruiter there, but he asked me, well, why would you think you'd be successful? I'm like, I'll just break it down for you. I'm starting out every month, negative $1,000 in commission. I got to earn that commission and then try to earn on top of it to keep it. And the cycle keeps going. You're offering me a draw, which is like, like I hit the lottery. And that guy out there, that's one of your top guys. That's my uncle. 
he's batshit crazy. If he can do it, I'll be your top guy in a year. That's it. And <laughs> he walked over to the president and said, would you hire this kid? And so they made me an offer. I never went back to the seminar until like later in the day because it took a few hours of talking to the whole team. I get back there, and when I go to get my stuff, there's the book, Think and Grow Rich, right? And I open it up, and they said, you won this in a raffle, but looks like you were off somewhere thinking and growing rich. <laughs> and the guy signed it. <laughs> and that was my experience with the book, but it's also how I got into the recruiting industry. So that was my start. That, that That's up there for an all-timer, <laughs> and one I relate to very well because I was working third-party telecom. That's what I was selling before recruiting. And I was also in the negative on commissions because Verizon and Time Warner and all those companies kept screwing up all the installs that I would sell with like 90-day guarantees and then I'd have to pay back. And I was like, I'm out of here, right? And like posted my resume, had a recruiter call me. I had no idea what was going on, but that was that. But yeah, the negative commission door-to-door. You and I, I resonate with that, brother, because that's... Oh, it's, it's brutal. Nothing makes recruiting seem like a piece of cake compared to that. It's so well put. One of the guys told me there, he was like, I was explaining yeah. how my day-to-day went and my life was going. He's like, that's the Vietnam of sales right there. <laughs> what you're doing is the Vietnam yeah. of sales. Yeah. Like, I never looked at it like that, yeah. but it sure feels yeah. that way, you know? Yeah, negative commission is like the napalm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's brutal. Brutal. Oh man! So you get started there. I mean, were you you were the top guy by the end? Pretty of the first much. Year? There was a, there was a guy that was like my my mentor. Great guy. We're still friends. Very cool. Very together. Uh, he got out of college as an accountant and didn't want to be an accountant, so he got into recruiting because like his his fiance's dad owned the company. Uh, so he kind of mentored me, and I I started place providing him a bunch of candidates and he was getting like 30 K fees on him. And I was getting like the 10% split or whatever. And he's yeah. like, dude, took me outside. You need to do this for yourself. Now you're ready. I'm like, let's do it. Yeah. And so I jumped into that and and he wanted to take the company over, but his father-in-law was like, would always play these Jedi mind tricks. Like, Oh yeah, that's, that's my progression. Let's, let's do it. You get an attorney and I'll get an attorney. And he'd always make it a deal that they couldn't come to. So he just walked out one day, said, I can't do this anymore. And so he came out and said, well, you're the guy now. He said, I leased him a car, gave me the keys. Those, that's your car now. And you need to manage this team and whatever. And my uncle being included. And listen, my uncle was something else. And so, but I could manage him. Like he would, he would respect me and relate to me and listen to me. So yeah. we had a parade of... What I found interesting was um, we had people from the tech industry, which is what we were doing at the time, like sales recruiting for like Hewlett Packard, IBM for their, you know, there was no cloud. It was like they're selling servers or they're selling networking and and pre-sales engineers, right? Um, So we'd hire people that were like a district manager for a company that did exactly that. You're thinking, this is a home run. They've got like all the contacts and every, and they, they couldn't put a deal together to save their lives. It was weird. And then this goofy kid selling life insurance can somehow get it, you know? And uh, I, I noticed the difference was, I think a lot of people would get really try to be a software engineer or try to be, try to talk like they were so knowledgeable. They're very, very important to them to prove their knowledge of the industry. 
as peers almost yeah. instead of the relationship. Like, like right now we're not talking about what you're selling. We're talking about you. We're talking about your future. We're talking about all these other things that matter to making a next step and just being re- relating as humans and then using that to parlay into opportunities with other companies, you know? And so there was a disconnect, but we, we got it. And, uh, that was really our main recruiting focus was like these, these large tech companies and their sales groups was is pretty much the first yeah. five years. That's what I did. It's so interesting you you mentioned because we talk about subject matter expertise read a lot in the program right digital and you know in our group calls and everything else and having a niche and having a vertical and that stuff is important right I think to be clear to your market in terms of like the problems that you're currently solving but you're right you're never gonna be like the top software engineer if you're a recruiter day to day. Like, so I said, don't try to be that, but you can be the best recruiter. And what is that about communication, transparency, like making the right matches, asking the right questions, listening. And it is like, because I've gone back and forth, right? Recruiting, right? Not rocket science, right? That line gets, that gets thrown around um, at least a lot kind of in our, our conversations, but like there is a science to it, right? There's a people science, but there's really an art to recruiting. And I don't I, not many people get that that I've talked to more than you. And I, I what kind of like where do you think that like comes from that was like already in you to kind of have that that kind of just that knack? You know, is that kind of like your background? Is that just kind of growing up? Or is that something you like develop more as like an adult? Like kind of what how kind of how'd you get that or realize I, I that think you had that? That's a great question, A. And B, I think a lot of it came from when I grew up. It was a military family, right? My dad was in the service in the Air Force. And so we moved every two years. And they were Catholic and they took it serious. So I was the youngest of eight, right? And it's like, you got a choice. They're Mormon or Catholic, which is it? And uh, um, and so <laughs> I was born on an Air Force base in Alaska. And we went from Alaska to Montana, from Montana to uh, Arizona, from Arizona to Nebraska, from Nebraska to Alaska, from Alaska back to Arizona when he retired. And I started sixth grade in, in there. So that's a lot of moving around. So I think there was this knack of uh, adaptability and having to read the room and having yeah. to, to uh, it, it's probably some something that's also probably my downfall, <laughs> downfall or some un- undiagnosed trauma there that, that uh, you know, really desperate to fit in. You know, because you would get a best friend and lose a best friend. And I think after a while, it got yeah, to the tough. point of, you know, how to relate to people, you know, and just how do you adapt to the room instead of trying to be something you're not? Because I learned early on, I, I was trying to sound like I had a script and a, a, a description of the company mm-hmm. I was recruiting for. And I'd start throwing out like technical mm-hmm. terms. And then I'd get the candidate would ask one question and I'd be trapped. You know, I would just like sounded very polished on this. And in one question, it became very evident. I don't know. So I just started leading off with like making my own script. And it was more, listen, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm giving the illusion that I do and lighten it up (laughs) right away. I'm a recruiter, right? But here's, I'm bringing opportunity and and let me give you what I know about it. And then you can fill out the blanks. If you have questions, let me know. I'll, I'll take it back. We'll get them answered, but let's find out about you first. Like finding out about them first was the, was the 
key to uh, getting them to open up. And also they felt like, well, here, son, let me educate you on what this is and what this isn't. And that's where I'd learn about the industry yeah. is like pretending like I didn't know and actually didn't know and letting them know I didn't know was the key. They're like, okay, now I'm the smartest guy on the phone, right? And they, they're like, there's no doubt. You just, I put myself in, I'm here as far as what we're talking about, but I'm here as far as these relationships that, that hold the key to some of these. So let's see if there's, if we can meet each other in the middle, you know, and, and, and help each other. Yeah. Exactly. Right. There, if there's a match and, uh, you know, versus, yeah, you try to act the, ask the expert or be the expert and they, they stump you and they're like, you know, hold on, let me, let me ask Jeeves real quick. Right. Let, let, let me let me figure this out. You try to make it hear the clicking and the typing and you're 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 Googling the you know the question and, and the answer. So you're you're right. I mean I I recruited skilled trade, general labor, so mechanics, forklift drivers, you know, stand up, cherry picker. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. Right. So instead of like trying to pretend, I was just like, Well, tell me, like, you know, which ones you drill? Like, what's the difference? Like, how many hours on each? Like, you know, I that's what I can do. I can figure that stuff out and ask those questions. You know, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, I, you know, drove a forklift, you know, down in, you know, Louisiana in 2007. It's like, no, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't. Like, that's a straight, straight up lie. So it, it's so, like, that switch is so important, right? But there is that need to kind of almost, like, pretend until you kind of make it. Uh, so it's... Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, but we were talking about, you know, not being, you know, smarter than candidates and, and clearly you got over that hurdle pretty quick and got pretty successful uh, and then started your own firm. Like, so talk to us, talk to us about that. Like what, why did you decide to finally make the jump and kind of what was that like that first year? Great question, man. Um, so I banged around with, uh, after that firm, I, I, partnered up with a buddy and we kind of tried to do our own thing together. But keep in mind through this all, like after the the first firm, 9-11 and the internet bubble burst. And it was just like, there was no business out there. And a couple years later, we started, had some connections and unrelated stuff I'd never done recruiting wise. And we, we got by with that. Then I got into staffing, you know, the staffing. And it was like, Amazon data centers in Northern Virginia and um, Department of Homeland Security and cleared software developers, right? For for a company and it was kind of new and I joined it and we had handshake deals that we tried to build it up together and that it wasn't going to happen like that. We The handshake deal was the worst thing ever. Like he wasn't going to honor any of that. And uh, I uh, I came down to Sarasota where my wife's folks lived. And I had just started to dabble in this, this different niche, this mechanical, electrical, plumbing design niche from some young guys that were doing real well with it. And like, oh, no, dude, you got to get into this. And I was kind of still an old dog at that point. I'm like, I don't know if I could relearn. And it's a good lesson for anyone watching. Like, can I relearn a whole new niche? And I had to really force myself to do it. It was, it was not intuitive. I felt like a rookie again. And I think it's exactly what I needed, though, right? To be teachable and to know that the markets change, uh, niches change. How adaptable can I be, or should I just go like try to sell real estate or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, I started getting the hang of it, and I noticed, man, there, it, there's there's differences here. Like the the approach is different. Um, so instead of saying, well, it's it's not what I used to do, so therefore it's wrong. Adapt. 
and I did, and I brought that book of business to a company here in, in Florida and cool young guy pretty quickly on, he was like, Hey, I want you to be like a partner. And I, and, and I found out that he was like owed a lot from a former partner and some tax stuff. And he had this beautiful office overlooking the Bay. And I'm like, dude, overhead's the death of this business, by the way. Like we, we eat what we kill every month. And, uh, this overhead, you ever thought about scaling back? And then he made some hiring decisions on like marketing, hired this marketing person that wanted to do all this crazy software that really didn't help us, but cost a lot. And I'm like, and it was every day. It was like, we're going to be an RPO company now. We're going to go to a staffing model now. And it was like, okay, I, I just, I'm recruiting. And the whole reason I came here is I brought you a book of business. I ended up hiring a kid and we were doing well, but we were just doing it all. Like we had the accounts and we were finding the candidates. I'm like, your team is not producing any candidates and I'm giving you half of everything. I told the kid, I'm going to start a, I'm going to start a corporation, build a website. Are you in? It's like, yeah. So the conditions when I started that was hurricane, uh, a hurricane, I forget which one, Ian, Irma, I think we've got killed by a few of them here with eyes, but it was uh, 2000, like 17 hurricanes coming in. My wife got let go from a teaching job. They closed the school, um, hated teaching, started going to physical therapy assistant school. So she's in school full time. I got two little kids. I'm just going to start a new business. And my father-in-law gets terminal cancer, like the right then and a hurricane's coming. Like that's when we all found this out at once and it just went for it. <laughs> and the beauty of it was this, I, I went for it and, and there's probably no better motivation than uh, it's sink or swim, man. You know, this is it. You, yeah. you got to do it or Where not do it. So we started doing yeah. it and, and we were, we were making placements, right? We were making it work. And it gave me the flexibility to take my father-in-law to his cancer treatments. I had to drive an hour north. I was the guy. Like, I was the only one here that could do that. Up until he died, like, I was the an anchor for that process. So I think a reason there's a reason these things happen, too. But um, we, we were in the MEP space. We were doing well. And um, we ended up getting an office. Tried that out for a while. Um, and then kind of like it's just taking me 45 minutes twice a day. It's not really getting more done and we don't need the overhead. So we pulled it back home and, and uh partner was a real thoughtful kid, a Navy veteran, had his master's, wanted to get his PhD. Right. And, and told, came to me and said, I want to get my PhD and help vets. I said, what do you need me to do? He said, can you write some re letters of reference? And I've got like <clears throat> colleges in Boston and, Cal State Fuller to all the stuff and, and wrote the letters and he got he got uh, accepted so at that point we kind of pulled it back to just me so just me at my house uh, doing the recruiting thing and uh, probably at my age and my disposition it probably works best that way <laughs> I don't have the energy to train people and stuff and, and put it out there I, I enjoy it I, I really do but by the same token um, uh, I, I don't know that I have the bandwidth for it, you know, anymore, but, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we made it work. We made it work, you know, then we ended up getting a house and, you know, building, building our life around it. And it's given me, you know, flexibility, you know, my kids, we homeschool them even before COVID because the school systems here were pretty whack. Right. 
and my wife does physical therapy, you know, here and there if she wants. And, and I'm at home. It's like the Adams family, you know, we're all milling around at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning and at 10 o'clock on Thursday night, (laughs) but you know, we, we get along and it, it works well for our family. So, um, once you work for yourself, as you probably find out, you know, uh, there's days I want to fire me and then days I want to give me a raise, but, uh, it's, it's, I can't see myself going back to work for, you know, a corporation and, um, it's the American dream, man, your own business. And it's, it's not always, it's not easy. If it's easy, everybody would do it, but you know, how bad you want it. Right. Exactly. I, I mean, it's, so many things I resonate with there and I'm sure a lot of people listening do too. And, you know, just kind of doing what's right for you and your family and looking at all the pieces and be like, you know, how can I step in and step up? Right. And, you know, the, the father-in-law story resonates with me. It's the same thing with my dad a few years ago and when he was sick and had a brain tumor and I was 18 and got sick 2020. And I was able, I was the one that was able to fly around and be with him and transport him because I was working remotely then even before COVID. And so, it's so important. That's like the beautiful part of this industry when it's kind of done right, right? You keep overhead low and everything else. You just focus on the relationship, putting in the work, doing the right things, treating people right, but like working hard at the same time, right? It's not like a layup and like it can be, it can provide, you know, so many blessings, which is, which is really cool. Um, And I think like you've, you've also like partnered with the right people, right? I think, yeah, training, you know, maybe, brand new people, but I know I've been able to kind of make a couple of introductions for you with people that can kind of are self-sufficient. Right. And I think that's, what's cool. Yeah. In the digital recruiter community is like, we just have like a bunch of competent, hardworking people and recruiters and owners. It's just like, okay, how can we all like pitch in? Like we're all running our ship. We don't depend on anyone else, but like are there areas like we can partner and like work on stuff and kind of, and just make everything kind of flow and kind of all row in the same direction. And I think that's like the new way of you know, conducting business in a sense, right? Or, or at least it's a new opportunity uh, to conduct business. So I, I don't, I think that's pretty cool too. Absolutely. And I'll tell you this, it leads into when you asked me starting my business. So, you know, there's challenges, right? In the market for me, where I sit changed dramatically in the last two years. And if anyone's been recruiting for, more than three years, they know that there was a, an abrupt shift when COVID happened and some differences in the market, at least in mine afterwards, even though there's a, a real demand for candidates and that's great. The candidate experience has changed. Many of the engineers I talked to grew up in the COVID era. They started during that era, you know, or they started, they started a little bit before. And so in their mind, the rules of engagement should be, what they were then where it was kind of an appeal to, you can just work from home, anything we can do to make this work, let's do it. Well, now that it's like back to work for a lot of these people, they're like, well, what about the, anything flexible, like ultimate flexibility? Like we're not doing that anymore. Or that's what, that was my first yeah. experience is always the benchmark in your head. It hardwires you. Right. And a lot of them have that hardwiring yeah. where it's tough for them to realize that it's not always going to be ultimate flexibility. Now, some companies have made the switch, but what I'm finding in the market is the hybrid model seems to win the day right now. Um, but some companies are going back and they're standing firm on them. We need you in the office. And, you know, with them, I would, I would, I would hearken for those companies. And I've talked to a few, I talked to one this morning that 
you, you might be not at risk of not being able to retrain, uh, uh, recruit talent, but you may be at risk at losing current staff because they know, yeah. hey, there's a hybrid model out there. I know just down the street at this firm, we're, we're, not, re- we're not doing like Apple-style innovations on <laughs> engineering here. We're doing the same thing they're doing. So there's nothing that compelling to keep me here if I can get that flexibility. So some of this, some of this I've learned over years is coaching the client and having, having the confidence to tell them what you see really instead of just being a yes man or a yes woman and, and just trying to get anything to stay in their graces. There's some lessons in being honest with the client. And I think they appreciate that. They've always appreciated it and never said, well, I'm full of it. I'm just telling them, I talk to people from your competitors all day and you don't. And I'll report back to you yeah. information that it, it, I would think that'd be helpful. You know, I'd want to know that. So that, you know, that's yeah. important. And the other thing, being an Intel gatherer is great. And the other thing I will say is, so with this change in COVID, the things I was doing candidly weren't working. Like it was a bad year, (laughs) like terrible for me. And I, I, I was getting everything I did and redoubling on didn't produce the results that it did for five years previous. And I, I, I'm, I don't want to be the old dog. What were you, what were you doing before that wasn't working? Say again. Well, so what were some of those things that um, you were doing with success as software? Okay, so that's a great question. Like the LinkedIn recruiter opened opportunity sniper, right? Yeah. So if, if you're a recruiter yeah. out there and you're nodding, yeah, I'm going to look. They're open opportunity. Now I'll pitch them. And then they didn't respond. And now what? Right? Uh, as a basic, we'll, we won't get too deep into it, but some stuff like that. And the response rate from the candidates just exponentially dropped and it went from that LinkedIn kind of 20% response rate to like below 10 or 10. And I was, I see your name pop up and I don't know if you connected with me or me, you, but I I saw, I think maybe you sent me a note and I kind of checked you out and I'm like, you know, I know there's a lot of different services like that out there, but there's something about him. I want to talk to him. And so when we talked, it was like, he gets it. Right. And, and I, I'm seeing where I need some help. Like I need to recalibrate my approach to outreach and some other things, my approach to my profile, my approach to content of which I never posted a a thing on LinkedIn ever. Not one, I don't think. Um, and even with LinkedIn, when I would renew with LinkedIn, they would tell me, you really need to post stuff (laughs) on there but i'm the old pro right now nah, nah, i don't need that and then you wake up one day and you're yeah. like i I'm, I'm stuck man i gotta do something different and as we got into it and going through your your uh your program it created a system for me right and 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 it's got a number of pillars that address content that address outreach both with candidate and business development and address how to filter and search for both of those in a, in, in, a, in a deeper way and the content, the approach, you know, almost like a best practices because you've got a content expert too, right? That yeah, I, I could write a sermon, right? And you're like, dude, that's, they're going to stop after three minutes <laughs> of reading this. You got to make it bite size. And also here's kind of a structure or, or start thinking about it this way was important. And don't, 
Use yeah. your experiences. What's your strength? You got all the okay. So you can take a point, and that point, you as you say, don't make your point in one post. Make it over a year, right? You don't have to tell the whole story yeah. in, in a post. Tell it in a year, and it's like okay. And as that goes along, you start to get things like candidates reaching out to me saying, I read your post. I think I'm ready to make a change. Whereas before I'd already tried to snipe them on LinkedIn recruiter six months ago, never heard back. Right. Um, So you're getting, you're getting responses from people that that was like a 10% reply rate last year. Now they're coming out of the woodwork, not just from this, but from all old outreach as well. Yeah, that's right. And, And like I've signed five new agreements in 30 days. Right. And so now I've got to go through and go, I got to prioritize because some of those might not be as good as they seem. You know what I mean? I've got to vet something out probably if I'm being honest, like I've got to go with the top couple, three that I can work on that I'll be enthusiastic to work on as well. Because uh, if they're not willing to talk to me and talk about everything other than the job description, I need ownership on it because I want to be an extension of them. I don't want to be a job description forwarding service to the candidate. And I don't want to just be a resume forwarding service to the client. And that takes that relationship that we kind of talked about at the beginning. Like how do you quit trying to be reading off of a job description and how do you get to know both your candidate and client uh, relational, like relationship wise. Um, And many of the, the times I talk to a candidate, I don't bring up a job at all. I, we, we sit and talk for 20 minutes on <clears throat> what's their motivation to make a move? What's important to them? How did they get there? Where do they want to be? What's a logical next step? And then after looking at that, I may have something that works for them, but I'll tell them I had something, but it's, it's not going to fall in line with what you want. I will do this though. I've got the marketplace out there and I can already tell you there's 10 firms I wouldn't send you to, but there's two that I think I'd like to follow up on your behalf for. Let's check back in a week and see where we're at. You know, send your resume and let me put eyes on that. And and they've already told me what they want to make, what their priorities are, what their career progression should be. And try to get them that schedule or not schedule that list of value criteria versus it never works when it's highest bidder. Like I'm just going to take who pays. I'm going to go with the job. Whoever pays me the most never works. I mean, it rarely works because that's that shine, that new car smell of the bigger paycheck wears off pretty quick. And then you're working with people and you're in a culture and your projects are not what you wanted and your career progression, your engineering arts, uh, mentorship's not there. Those things stack up quick, you know, and then six months later, they're like, well, I've adjusted my life for this more pay. And so that's not anything exciting. And I don't like where I work now. What? I want to make a next step, but I priced my price myself out of the market. So either I have to take a lateral move or a step back. And some, somehow that feels to them like I can't do that. They tell themselves like I wouldn't do that. So they're stuck. You know, I see that happen a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, so what does that approach, right? Cause it's great. I'm sure a lot of us, you and me, a lot of us listening have had, you know, have great conversations with candidates a lot. But it sounds like they're coming back to you, right? You say, hey, follow up in a week. Like, it seems like they're following back up. It seems like you're able to handle potentially counter offers. Because I've heard you talk about that a lot as well. Like, how does that initial, the way you're approaching that initial screen and kind of setting up next steps, how have you seen that in terms of, like, response rate and, like, candidates actually then 
sticking with you, you know, maybe over other recruiters and all that. Like, cause I know that's something that has worked for you. Can you give us like a little bit light on like, kind of like what's that done in the follow-up? It, what happens is again, the, the relationship deepens. Like I just got off the phone with the candidate earlier and I don't know that I can do anything with him. He's a high up guy with a software company. He's reaching out to me because he just wants my counsel on where he's at with his next steps, even though he knows I probably can't get him there. And then he's referring me to, Hey, I want to connect you to this guy that started a software company in Australia. I know because it's construction software and I know you do some of the construction and I know he's up against it to build this company. I'm hoping I can put you two together and there's business there for you. You know what I mean? And he's introducing me to people I I would never know. uh, And he knows I'm not going to place him. Like I don't have the relationships to help him right now but I'm going to introduce him to some high level relationships that maybe help him down the road. But we've both been around a long time and see the value in the relationship part. So to answer your question, the relationship deepens. And then sometimes they'll call me and, and say, look, this is different. I got an offer from unrelated. What do you think about it? And it's weird. They're like, this is a recruiter that's trying to place me, but they're talking to me about almost, career counseling in a, in a way, but it's, it's just relational. Um, and some kid, I submitted them to seven companies in Texas. None of them are biting right now, which is crazy. But I told him that I'm like, usually I would put you and you'd have a choice of three companies. I can't get anybody because of timing, but that's, that's the truth. The market changes like that. So here's what I'm going to do next. And here's where I'm going to go next. And I'll just send them a note every Friday. Some of these guys, Hey, listen, here's where I'm at with it. Didn't want you to think I forgot about you. Um, but it, it's something because I've placed people four years after I've met them. I didn't do it that year. I didn't do it that month. I didn't do it that job, but to be able to place them down the road, we circumvent the whole getting to know them and like the first time dating the wonder of me and, let me tell you about myself. Cause I think yeah. people, they don't want to do that. It's like, he yeah. already knows my deal. Yeah. He already knows what I'm interested in. He yeah. knows I can't travel because we just had a kid. He knows, you know what I mean? And they don't have to redo that. So I yeah. think there's, I think there's real value there. That's a ton of value. I mean, it's just gold after gold that you're, you're talking about here. And something I harp a lot and tell a lot of recruiters and, and, and try to talk to them about is like, stop like over promising on your calls like just ask and listen and don't because i think it's easy to fall into that trap of like oh yeah you're a perfect fit for this wreck and i think it starts in the beginning right with the initial outreach message and everything else like you know it's the perfect person for this you know this role and i was joking about yesterday you know talking to rachel brown is also in the community of like i got a email about like, oh, we got a bunch of RN opportunities. I'm like, I'm not an RN, right? Like, just like that initial approach. And if they're doing that to thousands of people, it's just, if you overpromise, you're like, you're perfect on the initial outreach, like you set yourself up for failure, right? Kind of like we were talking about before with those candid calls. It's just like, just asking and listening and just being transparent can get you such go such a long way now it's a little easier when it's your own business versus like maybe you're at an agency and like the whips on you right they're they're hitting your numbers and like all that but even then like flipping that switch is like even more important to get that quality right and to build that up and and, like that's that's the goal right you don't over promise you just have to hear them out and understand the situation what makes sense right make it make sense it has such an impact on people because that's not the experience 
they're typically used to with a recruiter, right? And I think like doing that and kind of just like, you know, we use a lot of the words like, ah, potentially, or like there might be a fit or like, is this worth exploring, right? I think we, I think you and I talked about that approach a lot. And I think shifting that for your digital approach, I remember like that did a lot for you because that's how you actually are. And that's how you build the relationship. So it's like, I was so excited talking to you in February. I was like, James is like perfect. I think you are a perfect digital recruiter. Like, but like, cause you have all the stories, all the knowledge, all the success. It's like, we just got to get that online. So people see it and resonate. And then you take it to the call. And it's for you, it's game, set, match. Cause they're going to be in the right hands. Like you're not going to overpromise. You're not going to point them in the right direction, but you also stay consistent with them, right? You understand having 20, 30 quality candidates for your industry, you're going to place them at some point. Yeah. Right. And that billing is speaks for itself, obviously. Yeah. And you just touched on something that I literally, the call I had that I had to jump off of five minutes before I jumped on this one was from a client in the Northeast. And uh, I know their president, he's a busy guy, their HR person that I started, I didn't have to work with before, but did. I asked her, we're going back and forth. I said, can we, we talk you know and we did a call we talked for like an hour this is a few months ago and the same thing we just talked about this but everything else in our lives and we bonded right it, it changed the whole yeah. recruiter hr dynamic so she reaches out to me and says listen we really like the way you work we like the fact that you're you're a single agency you're not stuck on any one thing um you're always fully transparent so we chose you uh we've got a situation in Connecticut and New York where we're really trying to build. And we've got some firms that had some uh, mergers and there's some uncertainty there, but we don't want to go after them directly. These people, because it always, it never seems to work. It's always weird. We, we reach out and they think, do they, are they going to, is my company going to find out there's, there's this weird thing. So she said, I've got a list of 20 names here. I've got a list of 20 names there how would you, can you go after them directly for us? And I said, I probably already have on your behalf because I kind of know <laughs> everybody. I said, but I've done this in the past where I'll tailor a message and I may even put it in a, uh, a support ticket for you guys to look at, but I, I want to yeah, come up with do. a message yeah. that's succinct to that candidate, not saying this is, you know, recruiter looking for them, but I'm working with the principal and president of a firm that gave me your name but are hesitant to reach out directly and ask if, if you'd be interested in, in at least learning more, you know, something like that, because yeah. legitimately that's typically not how it works. Right. So I told her that I said, I'll have to work on the messaging over the weekend, but I will, we'll do this approach and I'm partnering with you. And they, you've asked me to be the intermediary to reach out to them directly. And she's like, well, I'm going to keep building these lists for the people we know we want to talk to. I said, bring it on. You know, I'll, I'll reach out to every single one of them, but I don't want to trip over it really quickly. And, you know, you get the one shot and, and just yeah. do it schlocky. Let's, we're partnering here, so we'll strategically do it. But she said, we chose you because um, we know you do this on your own. We know you've been around. And we know you just really like the way you deal with, with people, you know, and that, that was a random call. That was a random call before our call. I love that. I love that. Was that a, did you do a cold call or you like to see like the job or how'd you, was that through like LinkedIn outreach? How'd you get in touch with them? The client? 
Yeah. This is a client I've, I've had on and off over the years, but this person that uh, is the okay. HR director didn't know me from Adam. Uh, and uh, yeah. it, it happened to be where I found the, what we call an MPC or most placeable candidate, right? I, I found some yeah. candidates in a certain area and I, 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 they're kind of offshoot areas like Bozeman, Montana or something. And I yeah. sent it to the president saying, hey man, Michael, I know you've been trying to build that up. I got a, got somebody. And he said, yeah, awesome. Let's set it up. But you know, I, I'm going to ask you to work through our HR person now because I'm just too busy to do this stuff. And so it kind of, I had to re what I didn't do is always overlook her. Cause that happens like, well, I'm dealing with the president. I don't need to deal with HR or, or treat them like that. Like I could just text Michael right now, you know, that kind of attitude. It was like, yeah, listen, I respect you. Let's talk about you. You'll get to know me, build this partnership. You know, it's you and me now, you know? And I think that's important because a lot of times people try to overlook them. Like, well, I've got a connection with the president. It's the worst thing you could do. There's so many points that I have to follow up and cover. I mean, this is all amazing for, you know, it's like a masterclass for anyone listening, especially like newer, even veteran. It's like, you're just good reminders. So, I'm sure there's a couple questions people have and I'll try to break, break them down. When you have something like that, you know, you don't have to share all the details, but do you change your fee structure at all when they're bringing candidates to you? Great question. And, and she asked, right. And so I knew yeah. I'm like, cause I've done this before. So I'm like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the point of the conversation where she asked and I said, listen, yeah. I said, if I was a big agency and had overhead, I would, I would quabble with you. But we're going to do whatever it takes to make it work. And if that means I flatten the fee, peel a thousand dollar off, each, don't even worry yeah. about it. We're going to make this work because if if it's a uh, an eighteen thousand dollar fee and you pay me sixteen thousand dollars, I'll take the sixteen versus zero every day. And, right. and I said yeah. a lot of firms are like see, but what you're doing is you're lowering the fee structure for the rest of us. Well, the rest of you aren't involved in this right now. <laughs> it's me and them. Right. So I, I have point. to like do what my client, if we're going to, this is a business relationship and it's gotten deeper to where it's a project almost. And when you do project yeah. or RPO type recruiting, the fleet, the fee structure is not a 25, you know, percent bang one and done. Cause you can do that and you'll do one deal with them and then they're not going to work with you again. So I hope the one fee satisfied you for the next five years or best client I had, I did that approach with him. I've built 15% of his company over eight years and he'll only use me. Right. And he gives me candidates that are sanitized that other recruiters give him. said, if you can figure out who this person is, I'll pay you the fee. Uh, but I also, someone quits in nine months on him and he, he, he still has a tendency to call me up like it's my fault, <laughs> but we're friends. Right. So he's just venting. And I'm like, dude, the next one, they'll just take, take, uh, half a fee for the next one to make up for it. You know, we, we do that, but it keeps a relationship intact to where there's probably a few hundred thousand dollars that wouldn't have come my way over those eight years that did. Just by being like, and that's like just your whole approach about just being calm, relaxed, chill, but not to mistake it. Like you're working, like you're cold calling still, like you're everywhere at once. And I think that's what pe- some, I think can surprise people kind of with your demeanor because it's just like you make it seem so easy 
but you're constantly working, but you also are present like with family and everything else. Like, how do you, I mean, that's a masterclass of thinking long-term reverse engineering, like, okay, long-term revenue, what's the potential here? And kind of, how can I see the business here? Like where, like, did you kind of like have that innately? Did you, when did that like click for you that that was, cause that's a huge turning point for any recruiter I've seen that's successful in sales. Like when did that click for you? You know, it was all by, it was kind of like going back to the, when I learned that don't try to sound like, you know, it all, it was, it was trying to yeah. uh, take any job order and get excited. I can fill this like ego says, or oh, I've got it. I'm going to yeah. over promise yeah. and I'm going to break my, I'm going to break my pick here on the, <laughs> it's going nowhere. And you, you learn <laughs> yeah. that, well, wait a minute, it's okay to vet a client out. Like, it is because yeah. you can spend five months going nowhere on four recs from a company that says they really need you. It, it's in the pre-qualifying. Like, so how many other recruiters have worked on this? How long has it been open? Why is it open? Yeah. It just goes back to the basics, like f- uncovering why can't you fill this? And why can't they fill this other recruiters? And you put it together. It's like, eh, it's kind of unfillable. Now, having said that, if you look at it and they're open to hearing about if you did this differently, or maybe I have one client that's a good friend of mine that was a VP at Salesforce. Now she was with another company and I was trying to fill a position for him. I I said, and I talked, we're we're really good friends. I'm like, dude, (laughs) this, every time I send him the description after we talk, the title sounds like it's a five-year person. And could you put in worldwide, whatever, because it technically is, and it's going to appeal to their, you know, this is a worldwide position and that's kind of the level that would be next step for them. And so she did it. She actually went back to the company and they changed the title of the rec. Um, that's not going to happen every day, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you gotta yeah, try. like what can we do to get this build? Like it, it, yeah. if you stand on that, well, that's what the job is and that's what we need. All right, man. I'm, <laughs> you're going to have to make a concession yeah. here. What is it? Like, where does that come in? You don't know unless you ask, you know, and, and and drill down a little bit. And, and when you realize there's a lot of people, right. And there's a lot of people, as you said, they haven't taught to the market the way you have, or they don't know. And hiring isn't really taught, you know, it's not like a lot of people just fall into hiring and interviewing and everything else is probably why it's so complained about, right. People vent about in all parties, right. Companies, candidates, job seekers, interviewers, everyone's kind of seems like complaining on LinkedIn and you got to constantly click the unfollow button. A lot of the times, at least if you're me, right? But it's like, how do we just take a step back, remove the emotion, and just understand, like, what is the reality? What are the facts that we're facing, right? And that's what we talk, I think, a lot about in the program and the recruiters. It's just like, this isn't about you, right? It's about the candidate. It's about the client. If you can communicate that way to each party, they they open up. They start to realize that you're going to understand if they're going to be able to make a change now. Maybe it takes them six months. Maybe it's going to take a year. But at least if you can properly bucket each prospect and candidate, like then you can start to really come up with a game plan and a clear whiteboard of what to prioritize because our most valuable resource, just in general, is time. But especially in recruiting and especially in contingent recruiting, mm-hmm. where it's very easy to work for free if you're not careful and you don't have boundaries. That you and amen to that, dude. You nailed that. Like it's <laughs> contingency recruiting is like I've got twenty thousand. No, I don't. I've got zero. Like I've got yeah. nothing from. It. <laughs> I mean, it's a yeah. it's it, yeah. to the to the uh, to the untrained eye or the average bear out there. They're like, 
I don't know, man, that seems hard. It's like, it is, but it's like, so you bring up another great point. Like right now, as we speak, I've got to go through with these new agreements in place and I got to prioritize. I've got to prioritize the candidates I have to market, the job orders or new agreements I have. I'm still one guy. I can't overpromise everything and pick what can I what am I pretty yeah. confident I can deliver on here? And then what's my roadmap there? And it goes back to your system, the roadmap of, you know, creating the campaigns to sequence the messages is, is the sequencing in order? Like, do I need to tinker that at all? The search strings, the filtering. And then I do this a lot. I'll connect with some people that I, that are higher level and I'll, I'll have like something in, in the connection or call, and then I'll post something the next day on LinkedIn that addresses kind of what we just spoke about. And then they'll respond. Like, they're yeah. like, yeah, he, he put his money. I don't know. Like he, I guess he really lives it. Or I guess he, he really believes that, or that's true. What he said, there's something about yeah. that. Like it just, it's perception. Right. But I've got to do that. Well, that and I've even got to include the, like, I've got to start, I love calling candidates or clients. I'm, I, I don't have no problem marketing a candidate. Don't get a follow-up. Uh, then sometimes that's what I've been using LinkedIn recruiter for now. If they don't connect on LinkedIn, two days yeah. goes by and I've got a candidate. I'll sanitize the resume, do the write-up and send it on LinkedIn recruiter. No reply. I'll just call the office. And I got a call. I called a, uh, like a, a company vice president been there since 97 that runs the East coast about a, a candidate in Georgia. Yeah. But I purposely called him on a Saturday morning and knowing I'd get voicemail. So he knows this cat's calling me on a Saturday. Right. And yeah. I also looked at his profile and said, we, I started recruiting when you started with that company. So we, man, we both seen a lot of changes, whatever. I get a call from HR two days later. She's like, Joseph wanted me to call you back and ask if you could send a, you know, at first it's a redacted resume, but if we like the resume and we re we'll give you an agreement and then still waiting to hear back on that. So they might not. Right. But that, that guy had his HR person call me and I know, okay, that's, that works. Like some, the contact sport still works. I've got to do that now yeah. with candidates. Right. And I've pulled a million candidates and I know sometimes you, you break a few eggs to make the omelet, but in general, they don't, they just don't like getting called at work especially in a cubed environment where they work. Um, it, it's just yeah. a no, no, but I can leave them a voicemail after hours saying that uh, out of respect for not reaching you directly at work, but to reach you, <laughs> you know, cause LinkedIn, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. imagine you're on LinkedIn. I just want to let you know, boom. And, and I need to do 10 of those a day, just knowing well, yeah. if you did that every day, 10 of them, you're going to get a few people say, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, let's talk. What, what, what's this sounded compelling. It, it'll get result. And that's what I've got to do. So I've challenged myself like, okay, so you've got this system now. Clark helped you develop a system. Like you're actually not just, what do I want to do today? It's like, well, here's what I need to do today. And it's kind of in my little yeah. crazy brain, it's categorized. Right. So I needed that. But now yeah. what now? even with all of it, it's not like a magic bullet just to give you all this candidate flow. What are you going to do now? Well, you're going to have to start leaving messages for candidates, you know, add that yeah. to the mix. It all frees up time, right? Like it freed up time for you 
to like have this system like you could do more of what you're really good at but it's like it's not you're just doing that for this like you're doing you have a system and you're calling candidates like like you've added the word and and that's a single like solopreneur owner like single owner a single seat like that's everything right to be able to maximize your productivity with just you like that's what's been really cool to see like in your business is like you got just so many more irons in the fire and you know how to balance like you know how to manage that like that field and that pipeline and that's what's exciting for me to see you know you're sharing me a post i got this message from this post and this message reply from this outreach and like oh i'm also making calls here like you're in so many places that's how you get five clients in a month right that's how you have 15 20 30 submittals of like quality candidates in an industry that like you know needs to hire people um that is actually one thing i want to go back to what we were talking about earlier because i think it's an important point to touch on and we just we got going Talk to the tech space this year has gone crushed for a lot of people in the tech recruiting space, right? SaaS, early startups, you know, the Silicon Valley Bank, all that. You mentioned going from sales recruiting to then switching the space and having that be really hard. But the market and construction and architect, that's what was hiring, right? And that's what I try to stress to recruiters, like, stop, you know, go to where the market is hiring. And if you have to make a switch, you have to make a switch. Talk to me about like what that was like. I know you mentioned it was hard at first, but when did it start kind of break through and kind of how did that work out for you? A great question, man. Well, like I said, I, I met a group of these young guys. They were all like former college basketball players that like started it. So and they're ultra competitive and everything. But I was kind of like the older guy they liked and it was cool. And, and we just got to know them through a common friend. And I, I would just ask them, so listen, how do you approach you know, what, what's the approach here? And they acted like they had this secret knowledge. Like these are firm, like I'll give you, like they wanted to charge me for a list of companies that were hiring that used recruiters. I'm like, yeah. I've been around long enough to know like, dude, if <laughs> they all use recruiters, right? They're all going to use recruiters <laughs> or I'll find out in like two seconds. If they don't, I'll just call them and ask them. But um, it was more, the, it wasn't so job order driven, and that was weird to me. And this was more MPC marketing candidates to them. And then yeah. if they wanted to get that candidate, they you get an agreement or they say, no, I don't need that, but I do need this. And then you kind of have the conversation and, you know, you, you get some job orders that way. Um, but it, so that was weird to me. And anything that was a little foreign, it felt like, oh, well, they're, they're doing it wrong. But it's like, well, you're not doing anything. So, you know, how do I yeah. do that? And it really was looking at, like, I would research the companies that hired for these people. And I'd look at their websites and I'd look at the job descriptions. And then you got the, like, I know mechanical engineer. Well, there's 8,000 different types of mechanical engineers. What are the keywords that lets me know these are the types that I need to find? And what firms are they? Then looking at a candidate and going, well, that's that a good candidate. Now, where did he used to work? What about that firm? And then what about the, the, the filtering system that starts to pop up people you also may know or whatever. And you start to look and then Googling MEP firms near Dallas and going, okay. And then looking at them and going, nope, that's, it's a civil firm. It's not really MEP. And then starting to figure out, all right, I've identified who these candidates are and who these clients are. Now the game is, 
let's go. Like, how do I get in front of them? And it's like, get a few candidates. And that was the fake it till you make it part. We talk about a lot. There is an element yeah. of fake it till you make it. Unless you are an, ad, an agency that you join, and whether you're new or you've made a transition and they're already dialed into it, they're going to be the ones to kind of walk you through. They've got probably clients already and, and they just need you to find candidates mm-hmm. and you get to walk through and figure out that niche. But if you're on your own and you're trying to figure out a new niche, there's a big element of fake it till you make it, you know, and you get a few candidates that somehow send you their resume because they feel like you actually may have something that you can help them out with. And then you market those. It kind of starts there. Right. And that's where it started for me. What's funny is the first month I did that, I cold called a, uh, a firm in New Hampshire and left the president a message about a couple candidates I had. And he called me back and he's like, Hey, uh, I got to tell you, I've got, I get these calls all the time. I never return them. I hang up something in your message was different. He said, I had a go-to recruiter from New York and he passed away and I haven't been able to, I just want to use one guy that I can rely on. And there's something about the way you said what you said that, uh, you know, and, and he's like, would you send the resumes over? And I'm like, sure. And then he's like, I'm going to be traveling, but I promise I want to interview him. I can't get the agreement back to you because my, my operations manager's out. So you can redact it. I said, you know what? I trust you. It's fine. He's like, are you sure? You're not going to burn me. And I think that started like he was like, oh, this guy's cool. And ended up hiring the guy. The guy just retired, by the way. And my, my last wow. placement was a kid that replaced him. <laughs> it was my cool. first placement like eight yeah. years ago with this client. And this kid is right out of college, but they're using him to kind of fill th- that guy's position and, and build him up. So that's kind of got that's the ball awesome. rolling like that. That's, I mean, I love that, right? Just staying with it, fake it till you make it. There is a component of that. And especially if you're on your own, you know, I've had clients come in that, you know, they get their one client at 6% that they're getting all their placements. I'm like, all right, let's get you some more clients. Let's raise that fee back. You know, they get, you know, they raise it to 22%. And, you know, here's like, no, you're doing great work. Like they want, you know, they want to work with you. That's, they don't want to work with anyone else. And it's like, you can get to that point and it's, yeah, but it's, it's just a grind right in the beginning. But what you're saying is so important. And the message I'm taking away is like, learn the companies, learn the industry, learn the niche, but then learn how to merge your personality with the business. So, right. So it feels like you've done your homework, but you're also just being you. And that's like, I don't think that gets really told a lot. I think people are nervous maybe to do that, or they don't know where the line is. And I think that's sometimes what we work a lot on in, in, in the program. What I work on with recruiters is like, this is legit. People want to hear this from you. Right. We talk about that with content. But yeah. That, that line of like, you know your stuff, you know the business, like you're in the game and you're invested in recruiting. I think that's what people resonate with you too. Like you're invested in this game and in this industry and like you're having a good time doing it, right? And that's like, that speaks volumes to people. It's a roller coaster, bro. And the thing is, if you, if you, if you, you know how it is, we start out recruiting, we get our first three interviews, we got three deals, right? In our head. And then you come, then you're like, I'm talk me off the ledge. I'm going to end it all. That didn't work out. And there's these emotional like peaks and valleys. It's like, it's going to be that it's a business of no's man. So just know that what can I do consistently in volume 
that's going to create activity that's consistent and that'll breed success. I ask myself that every day and, and I'm guilty of a lot of things every week where I go back. I'm like, dude, you, you're, you co-signed your own bullshit. Like you, <laughs> you talked yourself, you yeah. had a great idea. Yeah. You say it out loud. It's a great idea, but somehow you twisted it up and, you know, uh, made it to where it's, uh, you know, sloth is just procrastination, right? And procrastination is sloth in five syllables or whatever. <laughs> That's it. Dude, I, I got I got a post like written like ready to queue up about that of just like, you know, being lazy, you know, lazy and all that. And kind of like the script I had myself growing up and like just like systems and accountability. Like having the systems that I can count on, like you talk about, you know, trying to really practice, you know, practice what I preach the best I can, but and just being able to call it out right? Like in yourself, like, all right, I just got to get it done. And that's why, like, for me, I have the three C's. Right? If I can connect every day with people, if I can post every day and I'm on the phones every day, like I'm progressing forward. There's a lot of other things I got to do, but at least that's like, that's getting the ball rolling forward every single day. Uh, I, that's I woke up this morning and a kid from Cleveland that we talked about a week ago and he said, Hey, any luck, you know, fine with anything, but he wanted full remote. Um, I said, I don't have it. My challenge is I don't have any remote and the, the hybrid positions are in Cleveland, which I thought was too far away. He said, Cleveland hybrid's great. And maybe I missed it. Like maybe I missed that in our conversation. Cause I was looking at my notes, maybe my yeah. bad. So I, I seven in the morning, I'm looking at, uh, postings in, in, in any companies I already know in Cleveland. And I hit up the director yeah. and I write a little summary, send it on LinkedIn. He hits me back. Right away, he's like, I'd love to, but you're going to have to work through HR. Who's in HR? And he gives me a name. So I'll follow up with that. But that when it happened, like, real time, it's like, I'm going to jump on this now at 6.50 in the morning versus, you know, whatever. And it's just a, a series of things like that. Um, yeah, man, it's yeah. it's a, it's a wild game, man. Recruiting's a, it's a, the greatest show on earth. <laughs> it, it, it really can be. And to that, what's uh, we got to get your craziest story? Okay, speaking of greatest show on earth, yeah, um, it, it, we can all relate to offer letters, right? And and I'm talking late yeah. '90s, no internet, no uh, offer letters were faxed in many cases, but in this case, it was with Oracle, right? We we were doing a lot of work with Oracle, big software company, and this guy needed his offer letter overnighted. And this had been a whole deal with this high-level guy. He was a pain. Get his offer letter, tracking number. It's on the plane, bro. And and he's like, it, it, it's almost like if I don't get that by tomorrow, right? I'm I'm done. Like I've got uh, I'm done. We got to let him know the next day that it's not coming because the plane crashed. <laughs> it literally the plane crashed that had the overnight offer letter on it. <laughs> it's not wow. funny. You it's might win. Funny. You but, might win. But the plane crashed yeah. with this offer letter on it, right? So it was like, he was, what? he actually was like, what? like, I didn't expect that. So he was cool. And <laughs> we got him another one. It took a little time. Okay. But the freaking plane crashed. Like, you dog ate your homework? No, That's plane terrible. crashed with offer letter. I've never heard of that one. I hope I never yeah. hear it again. But that was wild. Whew. What year? What year? 97. Was you were overnight. 97, 98. 97. Wow. And. Fax machine wouldn't work? Yeah. What's that? You didn't fax it over or something? Yeah, well, you, the you fax, fax machine thing, there was some reason they needed the hard copy. I remember on this one, I was like, we, we fax them, right? And 
and he, there still was email, but it wasn't really like attachments and stuff. Um, and then we've all been in a struggle to collect money, right? Uh, waiting for that oh, yeah. uh, check to come in. I was recruiting for a company called Hitachi Data Systems, and they were like a big mainframe company that uh, got into like services, professional services and stuff. And so uh, they sent us a new agreement and said, and they raised it. It was such a crazy market. They were like, it's not 20% anymore. It's $30,000 flat fees for like salespeople. I'm like, all right, like that's better than any fee we'd gotten. So our firm had a contest, a quarterly contest. Like if you can book this much production and collect it within the next 30 days, whoever had XY gets a, a, this amount of money towards a pool. And then the recruiters, we could pick where we wanted, what we wanted to do with the money. So we've got the production We're waiting on the cash in and we got the last day to the cash in. And for the days leading up to it, I'm on the phone to San Jose, California with Hitachi data systems accounts payable. And this sweet lady's trying to help us. Right. We ended up me and my, my buddy, the guy that mentored me, it was had to be in that afternoon before five and they all this series of crazy events as to why they couldn't just get it out and you couldn't FedEx it, right? It's overnight. And we had a courier pick it, paid for a courier to pick it up in San Jose and fly this funky courier service to Phoenix where we're living. And we drove around back of the airport where the plane lands, where the courier is and got the, got the check from the courier, drove it in the office with like 10 minutes left and laid it on the president's desk. Like, boom, we qualify. And, and he, he he takes the check and he, he was, he always played Jedi mind tricks with us. Like he takes the check and and I think in his mind, he's like, these guys did it, but he just plays it real cool. And he doesn't come out of his office for a while. And so we're all like, people are trying to go home and everything, and he's not coming out of his office. <laughs> and then he walks out and he's like, oh, yeah, and everybody had to be there to uh, acknowledge the receipt of it. So people, are, we're just waiting around, man, with bated breath. And he finally comes bebopping out of his office, and he's got this check in his hand. He's like looking at it a few times, and then he goes up, and he's over meticulously like counting everybody that's there. You know, and then he puts like a five minute ordeal out of it, which is an eternity, right? And then he's like, Yeah. Congratulations. And then just walks back into his office and shuts the door. <laughs> but we were like, Yeah, wow. you know, we, we did it. We did it. And I'd probably say on that the candidate awesome. side, some of the funnier ones were they had a drug test and, and this lady's test came back like like she was an alien or something. What she did was she she had peed in the toilet and then scooped the water in the toilet with the toilet water and turned it back in knowing it was going to be dirty. <laughs> so they couldn't figure out what her test was. Wow. <laughs> They're asking us like, we don't know. We've never seen this before. <laughs> like, we don't know if she's got some serious health problem or something. It's like, no, that's toilet water, bro. Mixed with urine. That's what that is. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you have the best stories oh this that's man that is i'm still not over the plane both plate stories and then yeah then the alien candidate so you've you've really seen you've seen and done it almost all in recruiting that is amazing oh man Whew. wow 
we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, there's a lot more stories where we're going to have to share. So, uh, so we'll, we'll wind it down yeah. here, but I, I want to touch, you mentioned kind of what made you reach out to me in the first place of like, we're fly rates were going down, got to get more out of LinkedIn and the work we did, I think on your profile, really the work we did getting your voice and your experience out. That's really all. That's what we do. That's what I try to kind of show you. Like, here's how you can get your voice. That's what people would love to hear from you. I mean, I kept telling that even before you joined, I'm like, your market is going to love hearing from you. And I think that's proven true. What was like the first breakthrough from like your perspective though, you know, after joining the program? I think uh, it, it was, it kind of started to come together once you kind of figure out, cause I'd always been a LinkedIn recruiter guy. Right. And then you're like, yo, yeah. check out navigator. I mean, four candidates and it's like really and you look at the robust filtering system and you're like oh wait a minute this got way more filtering capabilities okay and sequencing software and the messaging that's tightened up in it right where i was writing like three pages you're like "Eh, let's let's look at some examples of what's really worked and that's that's all it is this really worked for somebody oh okay it's short to the point it's asking something you know a a response is kind of required uh, at the end of each little post and there's multiple touch points and um, the content. So changing these things up and putting them together. And then the next thing, you know, you've got all these people accepting your LinkedIn invitations, right? And I don't have to do a thing to follow up with them. It's already automated. Like it's, they're being followed up with in a way that I know I want them to be. And then you yeah. start booking calls. It's like, okay, well, that right there. You start booking calls. I wasn't booking calls. Now I'm booking calls with candidates, right? Yeah. Very simple, right? And like we said, most good ideas are simple, right? And so right. You, you start booking calls with candidates. Then I start using them as NPCs to get them involved. Then I start signing new agreements in place. Then I'm working on job orders and creating lists to find people that aren't NPCs for the job orders. And the, the circle starts going around. Then the interview starts. You get a few placements and you're like, I'm back in the game. Like, I've got a job description now. And and I think yeah. that starts, if you're an experienced recruiter and you, you buy into your program and, and, and involve yourself in all the calls and, and collaborate with other recruiters and yourself and your team, you will experience a lot of value. And you'll also, if you don't, you're going to develop a system. Right. And I know a lot of people like I've got a system. If they're talking to you, it's probably not going that great in some ways. Or why would they reach out to you? Right. Right. I'm building half a million a year. I think I want to jump into Clark's system. (laughs) Like like, I don't you probably don't get a lot of those, but they could benefit, too. Maybe they do a million because of it. I mean, it could benefit someone like that as well. So I don't want people to think that it's only for. Um, old dogs that were down on their luck like me or, or new people that don't have anything to do. It, it's, it gets you involved with what outreach looks like today, digitally, like online, yeah. what people are responding to and how outreach is more effective. And you can produce that effect in a consistent level with, with some bulk to it with with some sub, sub, substance to it versus every day getting up and reinventing the wheel 
I shared this with a young recruiter yesterday. I'm like, if you're like me, I would sit there and scheme like and, and plot and think of uh, another way to like uh, skin the cat and you try it and it didn't work. Now you're like, that didn't work. Now what? Instead of like, I can just do this consistently. And even if I heard this, it was a great thing from a, a, someone I really respect. That's a, like a, a LinkedIn influencer, an old guy that's been around forever. He said, persistence isn't changing what you do diligently, trying all these new things. It's figuring out some things that are basics that work and sticking to them no matter what. They will work. They might take three months, but it will work. That's persistence. And just staying with it and, and the fine-tuning of those things, that's persistence. Not trying a bunch of different things a bunch of different ways. That's not persistence. That's flailing, you know. And, and we all can flail. And, and I still do sometimes. Like I, I you know, I, I back away from from it for a minute and it's easy to say well it's been a day i just won't do anything another day i won't post anything and it's like or i won't aggressively market these candidates because six companies haven't responded so i'm giving up it's like let's dig a little deeper you know what i mean let's let's we know this works and it might not work for this candidate but you need more candidates and you need more things to work on and you need to find these people so Don't go crazy on, I got to do these different things to find them. It's like, stick with that, fine tune that process to find them. Don't create different stuff to try to do it. Right. And don't just throw stuff at the wall or buy a bunch of different tools and spend thousands. You can't shortcut doing the work, upping your own skill set, upping your own game, being honest with yourself and just, you just get after it. And it's just like, if you have like your non-negotiables, right? For me, it's posting every day, every weekday. Uh, like just, just post every day, and whether leads are coming in or leads aren't coming in or whatever is going on, right? There's always something that you can tweak and adjust and, and refine, right? As we talk about, you know, getting the boat in the water, like phase one, right? The initiation yeah. phase, and then it's the refinement phase, and then it's staying consistent. And it's kind of like the three parts we focus on. And I think watching you go through that, and then seeing, you know, because you have so many cool stories that we haven't even touched on some of the stuff that you've done with documentaries and everything else. Like you have an endless amount of like content pool that you can kind of build from. And I think you just had to like see that. I think almost hear it from the community right here from people that are working with different recruiters, excuse me. And like, and that kind of like, you're like, Oh, okay. I can write about that. He says like just making those tweaks and kind of seeing how that resonates online, because that is different than being on the phone and kind of more old school recruiting. And, I love working with even those $500,000 bill of recruiters, helping them like figure out how to attack this thing online because they have so much to add and it could actually, they were like, Oh, I could create a whole inbound channel. I don't constantly have to hunt, but I still love hunting. So I'm going to do that, but I can also create an inbound channel and leverage the work that I've done. Like that's like really fun. Right. It is, it's kind of seeing that. And you know, I've, I've, like you're, that's kind of your story in a sense, right? Cause you've had some amazing successes you know, it's just like, okay, like I have some skills, but like, how can I just like add to it, take advantage of kind of like what you've done. Uh, and that's the opportunity. Like a lot of recruiters and owners like yourself have that it's fun when I see someone like you take advantage of that and resonate with it. And it gives you know people another option and a recruiter to kind of gravitate towards because you're in a candidate driven market. And so it wasn't just you that wasn't getting response. Yeah. It's a lot of recruiters in your that's space. Point. And so the fact that you're now able to stand out, like, that's huge. It's a huge competitive factor for you and competitive advantage. And you have a lot of leverage 
Now, like that's where this becomes really fun. Yeah, it, it's a good point. And I have to look at, I, I think you, what you said, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're new or if you're, you're billing half a million a year, it, this system, it, especially with, with the content, it, if you, it takes some coaching, it takes some looking at it, you know, what's up here and saying it out loud to a group and people that know content and saying, Hey, I got an idea. What if we took this root idea you had and do this with it? See, I, I can't do that sometimes. I couldn't do it before in my head. There was just so many things popping up and I guess it's, it gives you your voice online. You know what I mean? You find your voice yeah. online and your personality online uh, without meeting people. They kind of get to know you and they get to know you. And that's always been my struggle is like, if I could talk to them, I think they'd be confident that I, I could either help them or I've been around and, and I'm not that typical recruiter. That's why I do it on my own. That's another thing. I couldn't give the illusion that I liked the agency. <laughs> you know what I mean? I couldn't, I, yeah. I, I just like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do uh, um, uh spirit Friday and wear a t-shirt. I mean, I wanted to jump out the window when I saw stuff like that. And it's just, I'm that guy. I'm kind of, there's a rebellious nature to me and I don't want to fit in like that. I just, I just want to be me. And, and once you know that, then how do I get them to know that if, unless we talk, well, they're not yeah. responding to you. So now you just feel like maybe I suck at this. Maybe I, maybe all that experience is worthless, you know, and it kind of gives you a voice back yeah. going, well, wait a minute you just need to be able to put your voice out there in a way that's bite-sized and, and has a flow, certain flow to it, it with content. It's not like a mystery. It's just, you don't know what you don't know, right? These are ways that yeah. people respond. Well, I didn't know that. I know. Cause you never tried it and you never had anybody actively that does content for a living show you that. Right. So how could I, you know? Um, yeah. And, and yeah. things like that, you, you know? know, exactly. So that's, it, there's a there's a lot. I don't know. We could, dude. We could talk for hours. We got like, I know. You know, I know. We, we really could. So we'll we'll wrap it up. What 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 recruit? What types of recruiters would you recommend something like the digital recruiter to? And in terms of like, you know, should I or should I not make like the investment in myself and and you know in a program like this. There's, it would fall into a couple buckets and we touched a little bit. If you've been around a long time and you find the markets change to some degree and there's a level of frustration, whether you're trying to change niche because your system also allows you to like the fake it till you make, it doesn't have to be so fakey with a system like yours, right? It, it really kind of equips yeah. you to be able to target with a strategy behind what you're doing to shift markets uh, or yeah. You're in the same market like I was, but how do you increase your outreach, whether it's on the business development side or candidate side? Like there's, it's built for someone just like that. Or if you're, if you're new, let's say your first year in recruiting and you're struggling with the same thing, it's going to be the same problems. How do I get candidates? How do I get clients? How do I uh, increase my the perception of my online presence with outreach or with content and with my profile, yeah. I didn't know that if I put these things in my profile, that can really bolster what they think of me or the confidence in me by yeah. looking at that. And what we've also talked about is for the newer recruiters, almost a little bit of basic sales training and, and, and yeah. some, some basic candidate sourcing, you know, those two buckets, like you also yeah. will by, by default, they're going to be exposed to 
it'll become evident very quickly when you when you get into it a little bit, like where you're struggling, and it's going to be like, oh, they're struck. They haven't had the basic sales kind of training on this, so that's kind of like, look, let's do that. But here's where our system fits into that, and now you're going to get a yeah. little both. You're going to get some sales training, sourcing training, but you're going to be able to apply it to the system, so it's a win-win. And, and you'd be surprised, right? Uh, talk to people that were at firms that have been there a few years, and they're like, ah, we never man, we never even thought about a, an approach like that. It was just the way the guy they worked for did it, right? And, you know, it kind of opens their eyes to, I can have a system. Again, I can get a system for whatever level I'm at, whether it's old pro, mid-level, new, there's, there's, it'll apply. It'll definitely apply. So my, my recommendation is, it's not an expensive program. If you do a deal, you've more than placed, <laughs> you've, more, you've more than paid for it. It's, it that's one deal. That's one deal, like half yeah. of one deal. If even that, you've more than paid for it. So what's it worth? You know, what's it worth? And if, yeah. um, if you need, or you can go three more months and not make a placement. It's, yeah. It, when you when you say it like that, right? And I know you've gone to clients, you've gone submittals. I'm pretty sure you've gone a, a few, definitely a few offers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from what we've talked about on the calls, and so it's been really exciting to kind of see that all come together. And I know there's just way more to come. Right. Like you're just going to keep seeing the ROI, which is really exciting and, and it's cool. So um, we'll end with a topic that I've been wanting to talk about. It's the poster behind you, the documentary that you filmed, Tonga, Bigfoot, Spirits and Faith that came out in January, right? Yeah, I believe around January. Yeah, January. And it's super interesting, super cool. I can't wait to start reading your post and content and kind of merging some of that stuff. But you know, we'll, we'll wrap up with like, yeah, give us kind of like the, you know, the 401 on the documentary, kind of how you got involved, what would it, what it was like. Yeah. So again, I'm a different animal, right? And uh, when yeah. COVID hit, right before that, I was, uh, my kids like to go to this nature museum out here in Florida. And it, by museum, I mean, they've got like pigs out in the corrals and old Florida homes they brought in and some trails. They just loved it. And they were looking for sponsors for this Halloween party or Halloween event. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll kick in and, and be a sponsor. And because it was Halloween, they had this dude come out and he was like on the discovery channel, like finding Bigfoot and, and this stuff. And, and he had this crazy thermal footage. It's like, either it is a dude in a suit or that's legit. Right. It's kind of compelling. Yeah. And he took everybody out in this trail in the middle of the night. And I'm just talking to zero off. It's the same thing as recruiting. I want to know all about this guy and how he got here and all this stuff. And it really sucked for the rest of the tour because I just monopolized all of his time. (laughs) (laughs) And and so he was saying, look, man, yeah, we're, 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 he makes documentaries and he's like, we're actually going to be filming out here, you know, this next year, uh, blah, blah, blah. We, we left and he texted me. He's like, Hey dude, we're, we're going to be filming, you know, this is some months down the road. You want to come out and check it out? I'm like, absolutely, man. And then he's like, hey, yeah. can you go down there and measure that outlet at the museum? We, we need to see if we can, you know, get a camera from here to there. Sure. Hey, we're supposed to get a film permit for Mayaka. We can't. I get him a film permit. I get him housing. I have a knack for production. Maybe it's a recruiting thing, but I end up kind of being the producer for it. And yeah. we, and then I'm in it. Right. So we, we filmed this for three or four days and it's out till three in the morning. We're walking across streams with 40 crocodiles in it. And I never felt more alive. Right. Um, probably midlife crisis more, 
more than anything else. But um, we awesome. make this film, yeah. and it's like we made a film, right? And and it goes out on Amazon, and yeah. and I'm the producer on it, and and I'm kind of in it, and uh, I'm a recruiter, so I'm like, this stuff was always fascinated me. There used to be this old show called In Search of with Leonard Nimoy about all these mysteries and Bigfoot yeah. and UFOs. I end up tracking down cases that are like Indian reservation, 20 years of interaction with their version of Bigfoot called Sitanga. They don't like anyone coming on. They've kicked off scientists. I endear myself to them and, and I make a documentary on an Indian reservation at 19 degrees, four in the morning, multiple nights. And weird stuff happens if you watch it and get it on Amazon Prime yeah. and it, it's doing pretty well. We also filmed at the Conjuring House. If people know the movie The Conjuring, like the original house, we yeah. stayed there for five days. We had a guy build an experiment that took three days in, with a tech center in his trailer. And we do this crazy experiment and other things and, and stuff happens there. Uh, that film will come out in about six months. The first one we did, we filmed a bunch of days, and the second one came out. It's called the Skunk Ape Experiments. We had num number one came out, number two came out. It's a little wild, man. The, the dudes I do this with or did that with, I kind of backed away from them. They're like doing psychedelics and stuff and like while filming and mirror gazing and enchanting stuff. I'm like, whoa, man, this is a little much, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I got to see it, right? That's a different crisis. Yeah, it's a different yeah, crisis. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, so I kind of found my own little lane. Like the one I did was kind of on my own in Nebraska on an Indian reservation. Yeah. And uh, they, I, now I get calls from some of these people. Like they're, they're my friends and they want me to come back and film more. Or a guy in Canada with this crazy stuff wants me to film. And uh, we got this lady in Mount Shasta that's got – 700 acres and she's talking about all this phenomena that's happened and no one's been out and it's been in their family for generations and like maybe we can go out and, and uh like a skinwalker ranch if you ever heard of that uh show yeah. like that and then the the congress now ufos apparently are real <laughs> like there's a congressional hearing and talking about it's that wild so yeah. timing wise it's it's interesting but that can also be a diversion for me and, and was during COVID to be like, I don't want to recruit anymore. I want to go play in the woods and film stuff. Right. Uh, so there's a yeah. passion for it there, but I got to be careful because I can get sucked back down that rabbit hole, but uh, it's called Sitonga Bigfoot spirits and faith. It's on Amazon prime. Uh, and it's, cool. it's different. It's different. It's kind of wild, but uh, th so the filmmaking Super thing cool. is, is really, it's fun. At least I could say I did it. I was in places you'd never, see yourself being at four in the morning and your Great. adrenaline's pumping and it's freezing and weird stuff's happening. And, you know, for me, it's like, it's cool. It's just, yeah. The sense of adventure and like, especially with what happened with COVID and everything else, like just to get out there and it's just to be open to an experience and, you know, and try something. I think some people have the mentality of like, Oh, I don't know. I can't be associated with that or whatever else. But to me, that is the coolest thing. To like dive in you got the opportunity you kind of saw the door open and you just blast it open i think you do that in recruiting you do that in sales and with candidates and clients and just life and i think that mentality that mindset can open up the coolest opportunities in life i mean it's for me as dumb as posting on linkedin every day has opened up so many connections 
so many cool friendships, business partnerships. That's just LinkedIn content. I mean, that's like G rated, right? Or like, you know, like surface, like, you know, very like not like that big of a deal. I'm not chasing down spirits and ghosts <laughs> and stuff like that, right? In, in comparison, although I hope, I think I'm going to need to join yeah, you Yeah, we'll get you out there. But, Ohio uh, is an area. They yeah. really want to do Ohio, so – we got the giant mounds out here and everything, dude. So yeah, you got to come back out here, uh, <laughs> and, and, and we'll we'll make something like and that. Check happen. this out. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll mention this just quickly as far as recruiting goes. I there was a company that um I knew basically the president is a software company nation or worldwide that was really hyper growth, and they used me on contract uh, about a year ago to help them build, and I, and I knew some of these people there already they wanted me to work full time for them. They made me this big offer. And I, I, I can't, I got my, A, I've got my own business and that's where I'm going to, I'm going to ride or die with it. And then B, I, it doesn't give yeah. me the flexibility to do this filmmaking. And they said, what VP of talent act and the president, I'm telling him what I'm telling you about these stories. I, yeah. I don't give a shit. I'm yeah. just like, this is me. I'm telling it now. Yeah. When we talk, they're, they're texting me. So dude, did you, do you have a link to any of this stuff? Do you have a film? Or so what happened? Yeah. They want to just talk about the film stuff. And I found that um, even candidates and stuff I talked to, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like they were kind of interested in what I was saying about the recruiting and the engineering, but they're yeah. really interested in like, wait, wait, wait. So you're one of those dudes that was out there doing that. Yeah. So, so I, I got to ask you, we're talking for 45 minutes about that. And then we circle back, but then they're also like, well, that, that was the coolest call I had all year, you know, like they're not yeah. going to forget you. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. So I'm just transparent. I'm, I'm out with it. I, I don't have any like, well, they're going to think I'm weird. I'm weird anyway. Right. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. You'll be both brother. And that's what I love. That's why, you know, it's, that's why it's been so fun to work with you, become friends with you. It's just like, uh, that was this whole purpose for me was like, I want to find my tribe, my community of like recruiters that are like, kind of think a little bit outside the box like I do. And I've definitely, uh, I think we, we've met our match in a sense uh you know in in each other that's why i love hearing your stories and inspires me to kind of keep keep going after this thing and you know i i'm just i feel privileged that you got of trusted to join you know our program and learn from me and learn from us as someone that's like you know a veteran of the game and i think it's super cool that you just have that approach and like that approach to life and just to learning and being a lifelong learner so i Thank you for your time, you know, sharing all these awesome stories. I got to imagine it's not the last time we're going to do oh, something yeah. like this because uh, this was super fun. And James, you can find James on LinkedIn. We'll put the LinkedIn URL um, in the episode. We'll put the link to Satanga, Bigfoot Spirits and Faith uh, in there as well. And I can, we got another one coming out in six months. I filmed at the Conjuring House uh, that you've done, which, which uh, will be pretty cool to see. So. James, thanks for being on here, man. My pleasure, brother. Bless you, man. It's been it's been fun, and it's going to continue to be fun. So I appreciate it. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. All right. Well, that uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Digital Recruiter Podcast. Uh, until next time, happy hunting. Mm-hmm.